This episode of the Urban Forestry Radio Show has been brought to you by Stark Brothers Nurseries and Orchards, two centuries of fruit tree expertise. Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show, here on Reality Radio 101. In this radio show and podcast, we learn about fruit trees, permaculture, arboriculture, and so much more. So if you love trees, and especially fruit trees, or if you're interested in living a more sustainable life, then this is the place for you. I'm your host, Susan Poisner of the Fruit Tree Care Training website, OrchardPeople.com. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner. To contact Susan live right now, send her an email in studio101 at gmail.com. And now, your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. job is to go out into nature to hunt down a tiny creature. This critter is so small that it can hardly be seen by the naked eye. It may be a difficult job, but someone needs to do it. And you need to be smart, certainly smarter than your tiny prey. Well, that's a job for a mite hunter. And my guest on the show today is just that. He'll teach us about beneficial mites, He'll teach us about bad mites, and we'll learn about mites that can turn your fruit tree into a raggedy mess. So hang in there, and don't touch that dial. Okay, so maybe that was just a little over dramatic. Sorry about that, guys. But Frankly, if you grow fruit trees and you've had a problem with mites, you'll understand why it's so important to learn more about these tiny eight-legged creatures. You see, a lot of other fruit tree pests are large enough that we can see them, like aphids or Japanese beetles or brown marmorated stink bugs. If you can see the insects and identify them, then you can start researching how to combat them and protect your trees. But mites? There are literally hundreds and thousands, hundreds of thousands of different mite species, and many of them have not yet even been discovered or named. Most mites don't harm trees and plants, but a small number of species can really cause a problem with fruit trees. So, today on the show, I'll be talking to Fred Bullio, a brave mite hunter who is actually a research scientist and mite specialist from Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada. But wait, before we dive in, during during the live show, you may have questions or comments for us. So just write your question or comment in an email and send it to us to the studio at instudio101 at gmail.com. 
That's instudio101 at gmail.com. And remember to put your first name and where you're writing from. If you do write us, you may win today's prize. And that's a copy of the full color Xerces Society Guide, Farming with Native Beneficial Insects. Okay, so are you guys ready to meet a real live mite hunter? Well, I have Fred Bolio on the line right now. So Fred, welcome to the show today. Hi there. Hello. What? Tell me, what is it like to be a mite hunter? What do you do? Okay. Um, uh, well, mite hunter. Let, let's say uh, someone working on mite can, can study the biology, the behavior, the ecology of mites, or the taxonomy of mites. So, so in my case, I, I do the taxonomy. So I'm a taxonomist. I'm a mite taxonomist. And uh, taxonomy is the identification, naming, and classification of a group of live organisms. Uh, and in that case, mites. Okay, so, so yeah, being a mite hunter, uh, suppose uh, you can do the, you can study the biology or, or, or the taxonomy. Okay, but uh, uh, yeah, so I'm a mite taxonomist. I so tell me though, I, we were talking before. So when you go, either you go out into nature to find mites, or people send them to you, right? Both, yeah. Both. So what is it that you're looking for? Any old mite? Like, is it interesting to you to see uh, any mite? I, any mite are interesting for me, but I have my favorites. But also I have a job, and I, I, there's only 24 hours in a day. So um, my job working for the Department of Agriculture in Canada is to, uh, to study the, uh, the mites associated with plants crops especially but also outside the crops because those living on natural plants are relat- relatives relatives to uh, to those on crops um, but I can study those on soil also sometimes because they can be uh, good mites in soil nearby the crops you know and so on uh, but basically anything related to agriculture I'm, I'm keen to spend some time on these groups okay now, if they're so small, I mean, to what extent, if I'm looking at a fruit tree or something, could I sort of see a mite? I might not see all the details. Could I see something? Yeah, people used to say that they are microscopic or that you can't see them, but I, I disagree. Uh, you can see them if, if they move or at least if they, you know where to look or if you, if you, if you know you've got a mite in front of you. Because most mites are actually about half a millimeter in size, sometimes a bit bigger. But that's half a millimeter is, is the size of a period at the end of a sentence. Mm-hmm. Everybody sees the period at the end of the sentence that they read, right? So basically, if you see the dot moving, well, it could be a mite. And, and most mites are about that size, okay? You'll have a, some that are a bit smaller, and many are beige. So if you see a beige dot uh, on a green background, say a leaf, it's not that easy to see it. But if I tell you to look there, I see something, and then I give you, a, even without a hand lens, uh, and if you look and the beige, dot, the beige dot is moving, then, oh, my God, something's living. And, yeah, you'd, you'd believe me that it's might. Exactly. Actually, I, I read online somebody said that it's almost sometimes looks like a sprinkling of cayenne pepper or something on the leaf. Um, cayenne pepper or like a little bit of you know salt or something i guess salt is bigger oh, but oh you mean to make them move or what no to see to to think of the size if okay, you size, yeah, yeah if you sprinkle a little bit of and now that's assuming they're red cayenne pepper is a little bit you know well, like there you go i mean yeah. even a cayenne pepper um, uh, sparkle or uh, whatever you call it is could be smaller than a mite right yeah you're right so there you go 
Okay, so here's what I want to do, because you have gotten really up close and personal with mites. And for those people who saw the website um, where we advertised this show and promoted it, um, Fred, you shared a whole bunch of fantastic photos about with, of mites. So people can go to orchardpeople.com slash podcast um, and then choose the Mite Hunter story uh, and have a look at some of these amazing pictures. So can you describe to me, if I were to take one of those teeny tiny little mites and blow it up into the size of a small room or something, a big, like a little monster, what would it look like? What do mites actually look, look like if we could see them close up? Right. Okay. Um, say if you want to increase a mite to the size of a, of a dog, so that would be a blow up of 2,000 times, say. Um, well, I guess you could have two extremes there. Uh, the most, the real monsters would look like, uh, uh, say, red or dark brown, and will have a lot of hairs, long hairs, and some would be actually spine-shaped. Okay, so big spines, especially on the legs, and claws at the tip of the eight legs, uh, big claws. Uh, and then the most scary part is is the front, where you have the mouth parts. Okay, uh, and the mouth parts is uh, part of that is the chelicerae, the chelicerae or the pincers in the front. Uh, chelicerae is what define mites and all the relatives, okay? They all have these type of, of, of mouth parts. Uh, but to know how it looks like, you can imagine a scorpion. A scorpion, on its palps, it has some sort of, you know, chelicerae-like, okay? It's not exactly the same thing, but it looks like that, big pincers, okay? So the big predatory mites often have the typical big pincers in the front with teeth, uh, on the two, on the edges of each uh, parts of the pincers, uh, and and that can be pretty large relative to the rest of body size. Okay, so that that's probably the most scary thing for any prey, actually. So yeah, that would be a big monster that could actually um, eat you up easy, uh, especially, <laughs> especially considering its speed. Uh, I mean, some will be uh, sit an ambush predator, but if you pass by, if you if uh, a prey pass passes nearby, then it jumps on it pretty quick. But some are cruise predators and basically walk along until it finds a, a prey. Uh, but some can do it at pretty amazing speed. Uh, actually, um, I'm not sure how uh, of the details of the, sto the, sorry, the story, the study, um, there's a mite that is said to be at least 10 times faster than the cheetah relative to its body size. Wow. So, um, and oh some here, gosh. actually, in North America, uh, the relative of that mite that's super fast is actually pretty fast. It's, in, it's pretty impressive. Uh, and some will go, say, 50 kilometer, kilometers per hour if, say, they were human size. And, but not only for, not only for 10, 10 seconds, like the fastest sprinters, humans. Uh, it would be for hours. Wow. Okay. So they're fast, so they could catch us, theoretically, if they were much bigger. Um, and these mouth parts, like, what would they do? Would they sort of gobble us up in pieces? Or how would they use these mouth parts to right. eat their prey? Well, they use them to catch us first, because it's big pincers, like a scorpion would. Um, but um, they also have the front legs and the, the palps, okay, that are used for the things, to push perhaps the prey sometimes, some... Some mites in the soil have so long front legs that they use them to ensnare or trap the prey. Okay, mm -hmm. first to sense them, okay, or smell or taste them by touching from the tip 
of the front legs, but then to ensnare them and push them towards the mouth, the mouth, the the, the chelicerae. So with the chelicerae, they they catch the prey with say just one chelicerae can be enough chelicera, and then uh, with the other one, it's going to make a hole in it. Okay, mm. so it trips the skin a bit and will get inside the hole and open up the the pincers. Okay, the chelicerae. Uh, to, to give more access to the, the meat in there. Mm. But then in there, they will throw um, saliva, okay? Saliva that will help digest this whole thing in there. And, and then they will suck it up. Uh, so so yeah. hang in there. So they're going to then puncture the prey. And then they use their mouth parts to inject saliva from what I understand, the saliva actually dissolves what's inside. Like, is does it turn? Yeah, I, yeah. It yeah, turns yeah, the inside organs of all the little prey into like a smoothie, a superfood smoothie, and they it, suck it, out yeah. the juices. They suck out the juices. I am so glad that mites are tiny and that they they don't kind of they can't catch me. But it's interesting. We've got an email from Adam who's listening from Seattle, Washington, and uh, Adam, great question. Are these mites harmful to humans? Thanks. Uh, not the one I was thinking of, but um, you have actually some predators, some predatory mites on trees, uh, red mites that are relatively big, like one millimeter in size almost. Uh, when there's a lot on trees, they can fall onto you. Uh, and at times, they may have a little bite, a little uh, you know, jab, because these guys have blade-like chelicerae. Uh, but but they won't do anything. They won't transmit you any disease, or you know. So it's not even like a mosquito bite. Say, uh, I've never been bitten though, so I can't say much. But I, I talk to people that that did, and and so and it's not that common either. Uh, but now, if we want to talk about harmful mites, um, the, the I suppose the most annoying mite that you can have for a human is the scabies. Okay, the scabies mite. Uh, but that happens most often in certain hospitals, or not certain hospitals, but in hospitals. When there's a patient that has that, then it may transmit quickly because KBs or mites that burrow under the, uh, under the, the, in the skin, okay, uh, and mostly the arms or the, the, the hands, okay. And, yeah, so when you have that, it's not the end of the world, uh, but you'll have to isolate yourself a bit and take certain uh, perhaps... Uh, medication uh, to, uh, to kill them and also uh, wash yourself with special shampoo and so on. So, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. scabies is, is an annoying thing. But again, it's not that a big deal. It's not, yeah, not going to be fatal. The real big human. deal are ticks. Oh, yeah. Tell me about it. (laughs) I know that one firsthand. (laughs) Somebody, people can listen to the show I did on ticks and learn all about getting bitten by one. So, okay. Yeah, listen to it, actually. Yeah, that was interesting. Oh, gosh, that's been fun. Not really, but anyways. Yeah, yeah. Interesting, but not fun, yeah. So we got an email from Blaine, and Blaine is from Halliburton, Ontario. Can these mites actually kill trees? So let's talk a little bit about how, you know, um, you know, bad mites might affect a tree. Can it kill a whole tree, little tiny mites? Yeah, yeah, it could, but uh, perhaps with other factors involved. So um, when, when the population is low, say, of spider mites or rust mites that could uh, attack uh, fruit trees or other plants, uh, what happens is that they, they just jab 
the, a cell on the leaf. Okay? So they just kill one cell at a time, or a few cells. For spider mites, the stylets, the, the mouth parts that are modified into a sort of tube, uh, or a bit longer than, than other mites. So, so yeah, I say one or, or, or a few cells uh, are killed, uh, but then it can jab 20, 20 cells per minute or so. Okay, so, so if there's many mites, many spider mites on your leaf, then after uh, some weeks, then this, this yellow stippling, okay, you'll have just that at first, some yellow dots, uh, will become like the leaf will be mostly yellow or silver, silverish or browns, okay. So then th this leaf is kind of done. I mean, uh, it's, become, it's becoming uh, dysfunctional, say, and, and it can drop, okay. Uh, a tree that is highly infested could, um, could, have, could make its leaf drop or at least lose some leaves, okay. So that's one thing. So less photosynthesis and so on. The health is a bit hammered and the fruit harvest can be affected and so on. Now, if a winter is difficult or, de or severe after that, uh, it could perhaps weaken further the tree because it's already weak, weakened by that, okay? Uh, so it depends on the infestation level and, yeah. So interesting. So really what they do is by, they're taking away the tree's ability to produce food for itself via photosynthesis. It's just slowly, slowly you know, attacking the cells on each leaf. But if you got so many of them, then it's a problem. Then you could kill. And I guess young trees might be more vulnerable than older trees because fewer leaves, I guess. Probably. Yeah, probably. So, okay. So I want to go back to our picture of our little monster. So we've got our little uh, mite and you describe the mouth parts and you describe it's got eight legs with little claws at the end. Tell me about its eyes. Like, what do the eyes look like? Okay. Um, many mites don't have eyes at all. Uh, in part because they live in cryptic habitats, in the soil beneath the leaf litter or in cow dung or, or animal nests or on, on animals uh, inside the skin and so on. So they don't have uh, eyes, many of them, but even those can actually sense the light, okay? They can react to light, perhaps because there's, there's a receptor or an optical nerve somewhere, okay? That is, there's some, yeah, they, they can have reception of light somehow, but it's not the main thing to, that drive their behavior. I uh, suppose. Uh, but other mites, some mites will have one or two pairs of eyes, okay, perhaps even more, but that's more typical, one or two pairs of eyes in the front of the body, okay, or the, say, the, the corners in the front, okay. Uh, and, but with those, they don't have compound eyes like insects, um, and they don't have uh, uh, all type of eyes either, okay, uh, with a, a good lens. So, um, Basically, what they'll see, what we think they see, is uh, one light, one, one light source, okay? They see if there's a bit of light there and the intensity, I suppose. They know how intense it is and, and the direction of the light, hmm. okay? So they kind of see where, it, where the light is. So, yeah, so some, some have eyes, or we call that ocelli, okay? Ocella, ocelli, so small eyes, basically. Uh, but they are not, that's not their forte, say. So finally, in this series of pictures, and again, I'm so encouraging people to go to orchardpeople.com slash podcast and have a look at the pictures in the page for this show. And if you look at those amazing pictures that you took close up of these uh, little teeny tiny little mites, you mentioned that they, they have hairs. What are the hairs for? Or is that just like decoration or something? Do they have any function, these hairy... Uh, 
Well, things? Uh, it's not for decoration, but it does help us taxonomists to identify them. Actually, it's all about uh, the ketotaxi or the study of hairs to, uh, to classify the groups and identify them. So it, they are extremely useful for us. Uh, although in some cases, there are so many hairs that the, the, the hairs have no names. We, couldn't, we can't name them. They have too many. So, so, so it's not that useful. But now, back to your real question. Uh, most hairs on the body are there for tactile sensation. Okay, so, uh, yeah, touch sensation, okay, to know what's going on nearby. Aha, uh -huh, okay. so they're feeling, instead of seeing with their eyes, they may not have eyes, they're feeling their way around the world with these hairs, I guess. Yeah, absolutely, with, that's yeah. it. I mean, a bit like us, but us, us, I guess it could, it used to be a bit more for uh, insulation or thermal uh, regulation to have hair, uh, hairs on the body. Now it's in part used to, for tactile sensation, correct? Um, but... Um, yeah, so, so they know what's going on very close to them with these hairs, okay? But some hairs are special, and they are chemosensory or sensitive to chemicals, okay? Uh, any, any, any compounds, any, any molecules in the air, okay? So these chemosensory hairs are at the tip of the, the front legs, typically the first leg, sometimes the second leg, um, and the tip of the palps. Because mites have eight legs, most of them anyway, and in the front they have a pair of what seems like legs, small legs, but it's the palps. It's never used to walk. It's used to pulp and, and to sense, especially food, of course. Um, smell and, um, and taste, okay? Mm. So, the, so some of these hairs will probably be gustatory, okay? So they can taste by, if, you if they touch something, then it's like tasting, like if you put the tip of your tongue somewhere. Uh, but they can also smell from a certain distance, almost certainly. So, okay, we've got an email here from Chase. Chase is from Boston, Massachusetts. Hi, Susan. Very interesting show today. We're listening, we're listening from Boston. No real questions, just creepy stuff. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so it is pretty creepy, um, but it's interesting. And we're going to learn as we go through the show that there are bad mites, but that there are also good mites. We'll talk about them. Sometimes mites are our friends. Um, I'm, we're going to have a commercial break in a minute, but before we do, just a quick question. Are mites insects? Are they insects? No, they're not. They're all related. So somewhere they had the same, they, they had the same ancestor. They have the same ancestor, but uh, they're all related, okay? Uh, I mean, we're talking about many million years ago where they separated as different groups. Um, but um, they are not insects because they have no antennae. They have no compound eyes, they have no wings, and the moth parts are different, okay? They have chelicerae instead of insects have mandibles. But anyway. Um, so they're closer, they're closer to spiders, right? They're from Indeed. the spider family. Indeed. It's the spider order instead because there's probably hundreds of families of spiders. Same for mites. There's like uh, 500 families of mites uh, in the world also. Um, but uh, they, they are related to spiders and scorpions because they all have eight legs. Uh -huh. Okay, that's one reason. Okay, but also the chelicerae, the mouth parts, is something else. But they are different from spiders and scorpions and insects, the mites, because their body shape is different. Okay, one way to, to, to at least uh, to almost be sure you have a mite is if the body, the main body, is one little blob, okay, on one single oval. Uh, and it's not segmented. 
if you look at, uh, at the typical insect, um, say a, a grasshopper um, or a caterpillar, okay, even a butterfly, if you look at the body, you'll see that the abdomen is, is segmented. Okay, there's several sections. Okay, but the thorax itself also is a is a sex segment in itself, uh, which bears the the three pairs of legs in insects. Okay, and then there's a head. Okay, a clear head that's well divided, say from from the rest of the body. For mites, it's not that. For mites, it's a little blob in the middle, mm -hmm. uh, and then you have the, the the mouth mouth in the front. Okay, more or less, and the pulps coming out. So it's they, they, they may appear a bit simpler. Yeah, so mites are a blob with legs, and their, their little head and is part of the blob. And yeah. insects are more like ants or something, where you get three blobs, three circles, and one of them is a head. You something got it. like Ants that. Almost the perfect, uh, there we go. The, yeah, <laughs> okay, after we're going to do some commercials in a minute. After that, let's go into a few of the common nasty mites that we might find in our fruit trees, shall we? We'll do that after the break. Okay. Okay, so you'll hold the line for a second, if that's okay. Yes. And we're going to listen to some words from our sponsors. So you folks are listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and Podcast, brought to you by Stark Brothers Nursery and Orchards. This is Reality Radio 101, and I'm Susan Poisner, author of the award-winning fruit tree care book, Growing Urban Orchards. We'll be back right after the break. Stark Brothers is primarily a direct-to-consumer marketer of fruit trees, berry plants, nut trees. We do this on a national basis. We're the largest as far as what we do, and we've been doing it for 200 years. The company started in 1816 when James Hart Stark brought his family and a satchel full of apple science across the Mississippi River, settled here in what is now Louisiana, Missouri. The big first apple for Stark Brothers was the Red Delicious Apple, and it started in 1893. And then 20 years later, in 1914, the Golden Delicious Apple was mailed to the facility here. Two-thirds of all the apples eaten in the world today are cousins of these two apples. Essentially, they have the DNA of the Red Delicious or Golden Delicious Apple in their DNA. We have about eight acres of warehouses, and we have between 350 and 400 acres of field production going on every year, which is split into two crops, the crop you're budding and the crop you're selling. We have about five acres of greenhouses. We offer a wide variety of product. We're growing woody fruit trees, small fruits, raspberries, blueberries, knockout roses, kiwis. There's always a new product coming out or a new technique. E-commerce has changed our business model completely, and we recognize we're open 24-7, and the customer wants their merchandise faster and sooner than they ever have. What works well with us is that, one, we're centrally located, that 75% of our customer base is within two days' time in transit. We'll send an email on a Monday, and if you place your order today or tomorrow, you'll be planting this weekend. Stark Brothers Nurseries and Orchards. Learn more at StarkBros.com. If you're an arborist, master gardener, or landscaper who's keen to learn fruit tree care skills, check out orchardpeople.com's Certificate in Beginner Fruit Tree Care. Not only does our intensive online training give you the skills you need, but we'll also give you a certificate that you can use to claim continuing education credits from the International Society of Arboriculture and from other professional bodies. 
Learn more about continuing education at orchardpeople.com by visiting orchardpeople.com slash workshops. Welcome back to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner. To get on board, send us an email right now. Our email address is instudio101 at gmail.com. And now, right back to your host, Susan Poisner. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and Podcast. Brought to you by Start Brothers Nurseries and Orchards. This is Reality Radio 101, and I'm your host, Susan Poisner. In today's show, I'm talking to a mite hunter, a brave uh, researcher who studies these tiny little creatures. His name is Fred Bouliot, PhD, a mite specialist from Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada, and I'm really pleased he's come on the show to talk to me today. So now... Um, Fred, in the first part of the show, we learned that like spiders, mites have eight legs. Uh, We also learned that they're often too small for us to see easily with the naked eye. So is it with actually in a minute, I'd like to talk to you about some of the different mites that we may see in our fruit trees. Okay, but actually, before we do, I just want to remind people that as we chat today during the live show, they can send their questions or comments to us at instudio101 at gmail.com. And we will enter them into our contest. So people who write in may win a copy of the Xerces Society Guide, Farming with Native Beneficial Insects, valued at $24.95. Oh, and by the way, if you're writing in, do remember to include your first name and where you're writing from. Okay, so Fred, let's talk about one of the more common uh, types of mites that we may find on fruit trees. Should we talk about two-spotted spider mites? What are they they all about? Well, the two-spotted spider mite is... uh probably the most common mite uh, all over the world on, on, on plants, um, and including fruit trees. So, and in, in part it's because it's so, it reproduces fast and, and other things, but it's, uh, it's okay to, uh, to establish or to start a colony on most plants. So it, 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 uh, it's a generalist, it's a host generalist. Okay, so that's, that's one, one of the reasons why it's uh, I guess bad. It's because it's everywhere, and it then can move from a host to another easily as well. Okay, uh, but yeah, the two-spotted spider mite is a is a at times a major pest on some fruits, trees, and smaller uh, fruit crops. Um, the European red mite is another one uh, that at times can be worse than the two-spotted spider mite. But the European red mite is less common on other plants, so it's more of a fruit tree pest than the two-spotted spider mite. And, and will they have the same, like, tell me a little bit about how, how would we know that our tree is affected by either of those pests? Um, you'd, you'd see, I think you'd have to look at the leaves. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you see stippling, uh, yellow little bits uh, on the leaf, uh, then you could uh, um, suspect mites. Um, Unfortunately, there's some insects that can do similar damage. Um, so I'm not always entirely sure if I got the mite uh, doing a certain damage in a leaf. But uh, yeah, some uh, homoptera or some uh, 
plant hoppers, say, uh, could do some things that are a bit similar. Uh, but I still think uh, with, with habit, uh, we can be sure that it's, it's a mite. But to be sure, you, you just look using a hand lens to see beneath the leaf, usually beneath, but it can be under on the upper surface as well, if there is a mite in there, if there's a few mites. Okay? So if you see spider mites and the leaf is stippled with a bit of yellow, uh, then boom, it's almost certainly the spider mites that produce that. So let's say I take my hand lens, I flip the leaf over, so I want to see the underside of the leaf, and with my hand lens, will I see that the little blob has eight legs? Will I see literally two spots on the back? for a Yeah, two that's, that's a good question. Uh, the two the two spots can be quite variable, um, so it's not always obvious. But yeah, you'll have two often two dark regions on the on each side. Yeah, a bit darker or blacker. Um, but it's not always uh, obvious. Not to me anyway. But some biocontrol people that are, are always dealing with live mites can be better than me at uh, identifying the mites live. Uh, when it's under a microscope, though, I um, that's my comfort zone. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, uh, seeing the eight legs may not be always obvious, no, indeed. But you'll see a little blob, and it's so small, and you think, oh, that may be a mite. And, and really, looking online, if you, if you say spider mite uh, on Google, spider mite damage or spider mites, then you'll see that it's, uh, it will look like what you, look, what you see through your hand lens. Hmm. Okay? A tiny blob that's uh, reddish, yellowish, and a bit with two spots often. Uh, and, and the legs, you know, with eight legs around yeah mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so okay so we'll see the blob we'll see eight legs and we know but w why is it that they're attracted to the underside of the leaf you, we won't see them on the top of the leaf uh some mites will will prefer that but generally it's under on the underside underside because it's protected from light uh, rain uh i think that's enough right yeah um and uh, and perhaps from from well, yeah, I'm not sure about predation, if it's protection against predation beneath. But yeah, one reason to stick uh, on the underside of leaves is also because uh, they can, the veins of the leaf are, are thicker, okay? Uh, so there's corners of veins, you know, the midrib in the middle, the midvein, and mm -hmm. then you have lateral veins. So uh, especially close to the stem, the petiole of the leaf, then you have... Uh, uh, almost refuges there, okay, because the leaves are, are high. So that indeed can be protection against predators, better protection beneath. And also at the corners of veins, you have sometimes domitia or acarodomitia, which means little house for mites. Uh, that plants, many plants evolved probably to have predatory mites and fungivorous mites hiding there. I mean, fungivorous mites are just those feeding on fungi. And those mites are good for the plant, the predators and the fungivores, because hmm. they attack those that feed on the plant. And they also feed on fungi or control fungi that may be bad uh, for the plant. And I'm talking a mold here, okay, or parasitic fungi, uh -huh. or disease. When we say disease, often for plants, it's fungi. Okay, so let's, let's summarize. So we know that there are literally hundreds and hundreds of thousands of different types of mites. And earlier in the show, we talked about a big, if we took a mite and blew him up into be a big monster and how he would feed. And we were talking about feeding on meat, on fellow animals and stuff, but, or, or insects or yep. whatever. Um, but it sounds to me like they eat different things. Some of them prefer a meat diet <laughs> of other creatures. And some of them like leaves. 
because they can penetrate the cells and get some good stuff out of that. And now it sounds like some of them like fungus. So is that the three different types of mites you're going to have, that they'll eat only one of those three things? If you want to gather the the main categories of feeding habits of mites, you're missing only one, the parasites. Uh Aha. So a parasite somehow is a bit like a predator. It attacks animals. But instead of eating many animals and killing them all, it's, uh, it's just slowly feeding on a single host, on a single animal. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, you have hundreds of thousands of species of parasitic mites, uh, most of them undescribed. Uh, but these parasites can be on vertebrates, like birds, mammals, and even amphibians, reptiles, but, uh, and even in, in sea animals, okay, seals and so on, and, and turtles, uh, and, and, but also invertebrates. Many mites are parasitic on insects. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah. So are there any flexitarian mites who eat a little bit of leaves and a little bit of fungus and a little bit of other sure. creatures? Yeah. yeah, so they they have different diets, whatever they whatever they feel like those yeah, things. Yeah, we do say that some mites are omnivores somehow uh-huh. because some can uh it's not typical, but some could feed a bit on plants and also on other things. Okay, but more common, more commonly, you'll have say semi-omnivores, say um, fungivorous mites will feed mostly on fungi, but also on nematodes, which are small worms. So they are opportunistic predators as well, or carnivores, if you want. Um, but they are, these guys in the soil will also feed on detritus, bacteria, the small unicellular algae. Okay, so. But they are not specialized predators. And then I say specialized, some predators will, be, will have a restricted diet, will feed mostly on one type of prey, say the two spotted spider mites and relatives. Um, but others will feed on spider mites, the, the aerophyid mites, which are basically the, the rust mites and the gall mites, but also other types of mites like tidyids, which are fungivores, and on insects as well. So you have, you have generalist predators and specialized predators and others in between. Okay. Yeah, I think I'm not... (laughs) No, it's all good. So here's the thing. I'm looking at, we're talking about these spider mites, two-spotted spider mites, European red mites. Is it fair to say that the mites that are um, pests on fruit trees are really mostly going to eat the leaves, the vegetative stuff? Yes. They're the, so really those are the pests. They're the ones that are going to be eating uh, the leaves. Now we talked about... um, European red mites, we talked about two spotted spider mites, but there's also these gall mites that make different damage, right? Like, how are they different, gall mites, from those other two? Right. Uh, so what I mentioned before, the European red mite and the two-spotted spider mites are, are spider mites, okay? The spider mites is a family. It's the Tetranichidae. That's the scientific name. But there's other spider mites indeed, okay? Even on fruit trees, like the brown mite and the McDaniel spider mite. But then what you mentioned there, the gall mites... Um, it's in the family or superfamily, aerophytes, okay, or aerophyoidea, okay, but you can just say aerophytes, that's the scientific name for all these, these mites that we call gall mites, rust mites, blister mites, um, those are the names, or bud mites, okay, and it, the common name is, uh, well, each species sometimes have a common name. Some, some of the species that are well-known have a common name. But uh, they are also often defined or named because of the gall that they produced. 
Okay, so the bud mites will produce uh, enlarged buds. Okay, say like on as hazelnut. So the mites get into the the bud, and then the bud become much larger and is sick and probably won't produce a hazelnut. Oh. Um, and then you have. If you say gall mite, well, then it's a bit more general. Actually, you'll have, if you say blister, gall, blister mite, that's a type of gall, the blister gall. It's when a, one of those aerophyte mite gets inside the stomata or the breathing hole uh, on the leaf of, of the plants. So it gets inside the leaf, basically, um, and, and start a colony there. And then it, has, it gives the appearance of a blister. On the leaf. Mm, so okay. it's actually deforming somehow the leaf as it creates these little homes for itself. That's right. That's right. Uh, Galls, um, whether it's a blister or pouch gall or finger galls, it's a modification of the plant tissues made by the plant. I mean, it's the plant that creates this, this modification somehow, okay, the development. The, it's complicated, but it, its genes are involved and so on. Uh, but it happens only when a, a given plant feeder feeds on it, okay? Because mm -hmm. you have other insect, insects, actually, that can produce galls. But the, the plant is, has evolved somehow to react to that specific plant feeder to create this gall. So say if you have a, a, um, a gall mite, or the spindle gall mite, on, uh, actually there's a bunch on, 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 on Prunus, okay, so cherries and, and relatives. Um, some of these uh, gall mites will, when in the spring, when the leaves flush, uh, the mites, well, it could have overwintered on the bark or on the twig or, or nearby on the buds, but when the leaves open, um, then the, the mite will feed on the side, on the underside of the leaf, and then the leaf will react in making this little finger-like house, okay, oh, gall, yes. or pouch gall. Uh, and so basically it will be bulging from the top of the leaf, but beneath the mite is feeding on the tissue, but will get invag invaginated inside the gall. Okay? Actually, this is really freaky looking, and <coughs> we've got in the gallery on orchardpeople.com slash podcast. Oh, we just lost... Did we lose him? We're going to get him back. I just want to say that um, the the, uh, the galls that um, Fred is describing, you can see on orchardpeople.com slash podcast. And you click on this story promoting this particular episode. And you will see that there is almost like on some of these leaves, there is fingers, these finger galls, <laughs> literally looking like little fingers that come out of the leaves. And other galls, like he was saying, look like blisters. So we're going to get Fred back on the phone. Oh, I think we've got him. Yes, I'm here. Oh, yeah, you're back. We lost you for a second. But, um, okay, so you were talking about the different types of galls. Somehow the the mites get in, they make their homes, and the leaf reacts by creating this gall, this perfect little house um, for the, the mites. It's not great for the leaves, mind you. We've got an email here from Damia uh, from Wood Buffalo, Alberta. And Damia says, Icky, how do these things breed? Eggs? When do they breed? Any prevention? And that is a brilliant question. Thank you, Damia, for asking that. So I guess really what we need to, we do need to know how they breed. And when can we smush these guys? Like when can we stop these? Like when is their most vulnerable time when right. we might be able to stop an yeah. infection, um, infestation? Right. Okay. So I suppose that she, yeah, she wants to know how to control them and if we can do so by, um, 
by cutting their uh, air. Yes, smothering them, smothering yeah. them. It's, it's not typically the way to control them, but yeah, I think there's some dumb, dormant oil that can be used on trees and shrubs to, uh, to kill some mites. But not, not the gall mites that easily, though, because these will be in the gall, so no way, the, I don't think the, the, the oil would get in there, okay? Even the predatory mites, if they're well hidden, they will survive. Ah. Um, but, um, and where are these eggs? Are they in uh, the cracks in the, in the trees, like on the bark of the trees? For the gall mites, those making little houses, then you'll have um, hundreds, of, hundreds of eggs inside the gall, okay, and hundreds of adults in there, um, at times anyway. So, so, yeah, these guys are never easy to control, whether by a, a pesticide or biocontrol agent, because only a few mites or few predators could get in these little galls that are pretty tight, have a tight entrance. But the thing is, these gall mites, those making galls, are not always, uh, say on fruit trees, they are not necessarily a problem, or we are not too sure how. Um, they make galls, but we, the, the, the stories that I heard, or at least the orchard people that I heard of, they, they didn't tell me that the, the, the tree died or, or stuff. It's more, I mean, it's not as bad as the spider mite impact, and some of the, the rust mites that are in the same family of the gall mites. Um, and so the rust mites are free living on the leaf. So these could be uh, um, affected by acaricides or pesticides and by predatory mites uh, crawling around. Uh, but thing is, though, so I think we need to do more research and find solutions, but um, to know how much there is an impact of these, the galling of the leaves on the tree. A student of mine had done studies on, on the sugar maple, and he had found that when you have five or six galls on a single sugar maple leaf, then the photosynthesis of that leaf is hammered by 25 to 60%. Mm. Anywhere on the leaf, it was tested. So the leaf is not doing so good after there's a few galls, up, up to many more galls. But then who knows what's happening on the rest of the, in the rest of the tree when there's no galls on certain leaves, okay? Perhaps the tree is compensating somehow. I think yeah. that's still... Uh, I should ask him if he's gotten into uh, trying to answer these questions lately. That's a good but, question, uh, yeah. Yeah, so that, that's a question. So when, when an orchard... When someone has, a, has galls on its leaves, uh, fruit, on fruit trees, I'd be happy to have a look if, he, if she or he sends me a, a photo and then perhaps a, a sample. Oh, well, that's great. So, so let's just put that out there right now. So if people think that they have galls on the leaves and it's the season is just beginning, so maybe we'll see stuff over the season. We take pictures. And how can people contact you and email pictures to you? Yeah. How do they contact okay. you? Do you have well, an email I, that you uh, can share? By email or even by phone call, but an email, uh, um, I can put that on your... You know what? We'll put it on my uh, webpage, on that webpage promoting the show, because I think that would be great. Then people can get a little bit of an idea of what these goals are. Again, going back to Damia's question, for those mites that don't um, actually produce galls, where will the eggs be? Where do they... Huh. Uh... Are they hidden? I have to dig in my memory. Where would? Oh, uh, in 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 the in cracks, in refuges. Okay, but I. Yeah, lots some of. Some must be on the leaf veins. Okay, on the main leaves uh, of the um, of the vein uh, near near the main vein, uh, in corners and in um, in um, it, on on twig barks, uh, the bark of, of twigs, you know, or, or near buds. Okay, uh, I think each species will have a different behavior, but. Uh, 
Um, well, it's a good thing for us to research. I've got another email. I've got um, a message here. Actually, it was from Facebook, and I want to read it to you. This is really interesting. So it's from a grower, Robert, from central Utah. It's uh, a few sentences long, but I find it interesting. So Robert from central Utah writes, The mites love it in my orchard. Every year I can see them moving about in the spring. Since learning about them a few years ago, I've been watching and observing in my orchard. While the mites cause some damage to the younger trees, on the whole they aren't much of a problem for me. From what I've read, orchardists who try to control them are committed to continued spraying, and it seems to lead to a nasty cycle of sorts. He says, I've kept my orchard floor in native grasses and weeds, and there's a vibrant population of native bees, ladybird beetles, and mantis. I feel that when they first hatch, they're so small, they probably depend on the mites and their eggs for their initial diet. In addition, there are two or three native species of predatory mites that control the spider mites through the seasons. For those reasons, I don't spray, instead depending on Mother Nature to take her course. That's interesting email, isn't it? That's fantastic. I love it. I feel like it summarizes kind of everything because it's a difficult pest to deal with. and, um, And yet... Using some of the sprays that are out there, it may actually cause more damage. Who knows? Well, that's true. thing is, if you have a, an insect pest or another pest that, that you have to deal with, and, and if the only short-term solution is a broad-spectrum pesticide or something else, that then you'll see if it causes a problem for the mites. I mean, if the, all the predatory mites are killed, all the good mites, and then the spider mites show up uh, as outbreaks, then it's a different story. But indeed, what he described there sounds like an ideal solution that it you does. should aim for. It does, yeah. And in, in, in Quebec and elsewhere, there's some good stories like that in apple orchards where they barely use or don't use at all uh, pesticides for the mites itself. And they use just a little bit of uh, relatively selective insecticide for some insect pests. Um, and indeed, as he says, it's a question of how you manage your your yard nearby and the plants nearby um, to perhaps attract other predators and so on, including the predatory mites. Um, yeah, but this guy knows a lot. It's lovely. I really enjoyed that. Okay, so let's take a moment after. We've got a few more commercials, and then we've got just a few more minutes, but I do want to talk about beneficial mites. There are good ones. So you okay holding on the line for a minute, Fred? Of course. Okay, great. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and Podcast brought to you by Stark Brothers Nursery and Orchards. I'm Susan Poisner of the Fruit Tree Care Training website, orchardpeople.com. This is Reality Radio 101, and we will be back in just a moment. In healthy soil, there's so much activity going on. Microorganisms thrive, and good bacteria feed on sugars that seep out of plant and tree roots. In return, these bacteria transform nutrients in the soil into fertility that our plants can enjoy. But what if you don't have perfect soil? Those friendly bacteria may not be active and your plants and trees may not thrive. There is a solution though. Earth Alive Soil Activator is an organic biofertilizer that contains three carefully selected bacterial strains that will make nutrients in the soil available to your plants and your plant or tree will thank you with better growth and a better harvest. Earth Alive Soil Activator has been shown to boost yields in crops, including avocados, 
grapes, strawberries, and even guavas. Go to earthalivect.com to learn more about it and let our friendly bacteria bring your growing spaces back to life. If you're thinking of planting fruit trees and you're looking for a wide selection of cultivars, consider Whiffle Tree Nursery. Our 62-page full-color catalog includes 300 varieties of fruit and nut trees, berries, grapes, and other edible perennial plants. Not only that, in our catalog, we help you through the selection process with tips and advice about all aspects of growing fruit trees. You can learn about adding nitrogen-fixing plants, rootstock choices, and even about planting a windbreak if you have a windy site. We're a one-stop shop as we sell fruit tree care books, pruning tools, organic sprays, and natural fertilizers. We're located in Alora, Ontario, but we can ship all over Canada. Call us at 519-669-1349 to order your catalog. That's 519-669-1349. Whiffle Tree Nursery. Call us today. Welcome back to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner. And now, right back to Susan. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show brought to you by Stark Brothers Nursery. This is Reality Radio 101 and I'm your host, Susan Poisner of the Fruit Tree Care Training website, OrchardPeople.com. Thank you for tuning in. So in today's show, we've been talking about mites. They're arachnids from the same family as spiders, and they are tiny, but they can still cause a lot of damage to your fruit trees and garden plants. But like humans, some mites can be bad, and some can really be very nice. (laughs) So let's talk about the nice mites, those ones that offer us services in our gardens and orchards. My guest today is Fred Bullio, a research scientist and mite specialist from Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada. So just before we continue chatting, you've got just a few more minutes to enter today's contest. Send us an email just to say hi if you don't have a question or you might have a question to send us. So send that email to instudio101 at gmail.com and just include your first name and where you're listening from so we know. So Fred, we've been talking about the bad mites. Are most mites bad or are there lots and lots of good ones too? It's the opposite. Most mites are good. Uh, Some directly to us, but others indirectly because they help in the decomposition of nutrients or recycling the nutrients in the soil. I mean, uh, probably, I mean, a very large portion of mite species live in the soil. Okay, so that's that's something not to, to forget. So... And these, uh, a large portion of those in the soil will, uh, are detritivores, okay? Basically, they're a bit like earthworms. They, they eat detritus and fungi, and they help the soil uh, maintain its structure and recycle nutrients so that trees can eat and so on. Okay, so that's one large group of beneficial mites, good mites. Okay, uh, but also in general, mites are part of the trophic chain, or more accurately, the trophic network. So they are there to uh, to be food for other mites or other insects or, or bigger animals, and they are also preying or regulating on on their food. Okay, so whether it's fungi or 
uh, other mites or, or, or worms or pests or whatnot. So the, they're part of the food chain, so they're extremely important. Okay? So, so it's part so, of the stability of the ecosystem. So with regards to the beneficial mites, so we got beneficial mites in the soil, and they're helping to you know eat stuff and then poop out good nutrients. That's great. But with regards, because mites are so small, how can they really protect your plants from other insects because i guess i guess if they're eating other fellow very small mites they can protect our plants like if good ones good mites are eating bad mites but they're so small like they can't eat insects or anything like that that are insect some of them pests. yeah actually some insects are small or the the immature stages of insects okay the younger stages like the eggs of insects can be eaten by some mites for sure uh-huh thrips for instance uh that can be a pest in many greenhouse or, or orchards, uh, thrips, and other, other insects, uh, scale insects. Um, oh, they can eat scale insect eggs or something? I, I think they can. I think some can. Yeah, uh, and that would be great. gnats as well. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But most mites are useful against mites. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's not because they're small that they cannot be efficient and useful, uh, and they can be quite numerous. So... Yeah, uh, you have many species of uh, predatory mites that live on trees and the foliage um, and elsewhere that feed on, on smaller mites, including the pests. Mm-hmm. So on orchards, say on apple, you can have uh, perhaps up to eight, nine, ten species of predatory mites. Uh, well, I'm thinking of one family. It can be a bit more than that, a dozen probably, on a single apple tree if it if there's no chemicals in there or if all mites are not, not too sensitive. But you always have a few species that are more sensitive. So, uh, so yeah, uh, ideally you'll have a dozen of predatory species. But, of course, these represent uh, thousands of individuals controlling the pests, um, whether it's before uh, there's an outbreak or during an outbreak. These mites, um, that's their job. So they protect the plants. So one, I think probably, I can't believe I, uh, how quickly this show goes. Sometimes we're just starting about su- talking about such interesting things and then the time is almost gone. But can you tell me why do you think what you do is so important by going out there, uh, finding mites, killing them, pickling them or whatever you do with them, and then studying them? Why is that important for us in, in our quest to protect our fruit trees, our fruiting plants? Okay, okay, I'll start to, uh, to stay brief. Um, <laughs> so, so, yeah, my work is to, my work and my team here, I mean, I got very close colleagues, including Wayne, that works closely with me. But, so we identify mites, okay, and we develop diagnostic tools for ourselves, because we, uh, to, to start with, but also for other people that know a bit less about mites. So we're trying to find uh, the differences in the, in the morphology and the DNA to make sure that we have one species that has a name, and if it has no name, we give a name. So... But then, then having a name, um, it, this helps take decisions for how to control pests, say. Okay? Mm-hmm. Because if you don't have a name, then you're not too sure what you're dealing with. If the species has already been studied, the biology, the behavior, the lifestyle, where it feeds and what sensitivity it has versus uh, certain pesticides, then with no name, you're not too sure what you, which one you're talking about. Uh-huh. So uh, you can have a name after if you, if you, or, or, or before you do a lot of studies. Preferably before, okay. So, but another example how this it's important to be able to identify the mites and classify them. It's because uh, well, you're gonna need to know the good mites as well, okay. Mm-hmm. Know which ones are really efficient and so on. Um, and and yeah, it happens that I did describe a new biocontrol agent that's sold in in Canada uh, against thrips and fungus gnats in greenhouses. 
but also some of the plant feeding mites can be useful, okay, by attacking weeds. Mm-hmm. Um, and people tend to forget those. But, uh, but anyway, so to know which one will control the, control the weed, uh, you need to differentiate them and know what species you're dealing with again. Um, and Ooh. perhaps finally, uh, one uh, good reason why taxonomy is important is that we're somehow we're protecting the borders of the country. Because when, when the shipment of fruits or whatever else that is uh, plant-based um, or live plants, it, it has insects or mites and so on. And CFIA, the Canadian Food Inspection Agency, or the, the border at first, the, the, the border agents, will sample the, the shipment and then that will be sent to CFIA if there are bugs in it that they think may be bad. And then CFIA will contact us for, through the National Identification Service, including us, the mite group. And so we, we, we got to identify the mites. And if, we, if this mite that was found on certain fruits from a certain country is, can feed on, on, on the fruit or on the leaves of the, the, that fruit, and it's not yet present in Canada, well, that's a problem. So we don't want it to establish in Canada and find its way here. You well, still there, Susan? Yep, I'm okay. still here, but I'm going to have to cut you off because I, do, I don't know if you looked at the time. We're just about at 2 o'clock. Right. Oh, my goodness. But wait a minute. You need to help me here because I have a little container here filled with names of people who emailed in. And I want you to say now when you want, I'm going to hold the different names of people. So in one second, I want you to say the word now. Can you say now? Now. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So I was holding a name in my hand. So I wanted you to help me pick the name of the winner of the book. (laughs) It's just, I never want to take responsibility that, you know, maybe I'm seeing the names and I'm cheating. So the winner of the book today is Blaine from Halliburton, Ontario. And so Gary will uh, email me that name because we're going to get her book shipped directly to Blaine. Blaine is going to win the book. So congratulations, Blaine. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Fred. Uh, It was really, really fun talking to you. And good luck with your work. And we're so glad that you came to keep us company today on the show. Thank you very much. I'm sorry (laughs) if I talked a bit too much at times, but I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Good. Thank you so much. And if you can tell people that they are very welcome to send me samples or to contact me, if they have mites, I'd be really happy. Okay, perfect. And pictures as well. That's great. Thank you so much. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye for now. So that was Fred Bolio, a brave mite hunter who's actually a research scientist and mite specialist from Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada. And the show is over for today. Oh my goodness, it's gone very quickly. If you miss it, miss the beginning or if you want to hear it again, you'll find it at orchardpeople.com slash podcast and do make an effort to see the photo gallery for this show. Oh my goodness, amazing pictures. So I'm going to say goodbye for now. You've been listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show brought to you by Stark Brothers Nurseries and Orchards. This is Reality Radio 101, and I'm Susan Poisner from the Fruit Tree Care Training website, orchardpeople.com. Thanks for tuning in, and I look forward to digging into a new fruit tree care topic with you next month.
You've been listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101. To learn more about the show and to download the podcast where I cover lots more great topics, you can visit orchardpeople.com slash podcast. The show is broadcast live on the last Tuesday of every month. And each time I have great new guests talking to me about fruit trees, food forests, and arboriculture. If you're interested in learning more about growing your own fruit trees or just about living a more sustainable life, go to orchardpeople.com and sign up for my information-packed monthly newsletter. If you like this show, please do like our Orchard People Facebook page. You can also follow me on Twitter at at Urban Fruit Trees. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's been wonderful to have you as a listener, and I hope to see you again next time. Thank you for listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101.